Good morning. Welcome to worship at First United Methodist Church in Martinsville, Virginia. It is a delight to see each and every one of you here this morning. I wanted to share that as COVID restrictions are lifting, if you are part of a Sunday school class or another group in the church, um, it is fine to go ahead and start meeting again. If you have a group that is more than 10 people, if you would see me first, though, I would appreciate that. Uh, welcome again to worship on this fifth Sunday of Pentecost. Uh, I know that we are approaching a holiday weekend, and we have a number of people who are traveling. Uh, some of us gathered today may be traveling as well, and uh, I will be praying for traveling mercies for each of you. Will you stand now for the call to worship, which is a responsive reading? Source of all hope and holiness, we gather this morning to be church. Bless those who are absent, but not from our hearts. Bless those who are distant, but not from your love. Bless each of us here that we may choose justice by your spirit, draw kindness from the well of your mercy, and walk humbly in your path, O God. Amen. Our opening hymn is, It is Well with My Soul. It is found on page 377 in your hymnals.
Please be seated. Will you join me responsively in our opening prayer? Christ our Lord, long ago in Galilee, many who were sick and suffering needed friends to bring them to your side. Confident of your goodness, we now bring to you those who need your healing touch. We name before you those who are ill in body, whose illness is long or painful or difficult to cure, who suffer restless days and sleepless nights. Lord Jesus Christ, lover of all, bring healing, bring peace. We name before you those who are troubled in mind, distressed by the past or dreading the future, those who are trapped and cast down by fear. Lord Jesus Christ, lover of all, bring healing, bring peace. We name before you those for whom light has been turned to darkness by the death of a loved one, the breaking of a friendship, the fading of hope. Lord Jesus Christ, lover of all, bring healing, bring peace. Loving God, the care of every soul is in your hands. We do not know your will for us. If by our lives your grace may be, no, may, may be made known, then in us, through us, and even in spite of us, your kingdom come, your will be done. Amen. I would like to ask for the attention of the children this morning for children's time. Um, I would like to begin by asking if you have read the book Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. Who's read that book? That's an awesome book. And one of the points of that book is that sometimes that happens to every one of us. Every one of us, every once in a while, have a no good, terrible, horrible, very bad day. Um, it's just a universal experience. And so one of the things that we're going to hear about this morning in our scripture lessons are people who are having really hard times. And we are going to learn about how they came to know that God was with them in those times. But I was thinking this week about something. I was talking with Annette, and I remembered a story about the best question I have ever been asked about church membership was asked by someone in my congregation in Gordonsville, Virginia, who was in second grade. Second graders ask awesome questions. Anyway, uh, his name was Stephen, and he and his family joined the church one morning, and I had a membership certificate for the family, and I handed it to Stephen. Well, Stephen only knew about one kind of certificate, gift certificates. And so he thought his membership certificate was a gift certificate, and he looked up at me and he said, what can I get for this? And I thought, that is the best question about church membership I've ever been asked. What can you get for it? What can you get for a church membership certificate. And I kind of stammered. I was, so, I was so overwhelmed by the profound question and said, well, what I hope you get from it is a community where you always feel loved, where you will experience forgiveness, where you will have an opportunity to serve others, sharing God's love and using the gifts God has given to you, 
And most of all, what I hope it gets for you is being part of a community of hope. We are Easter people. We are people who are a community of hope, not because we are into wishful thinking, but because we trust that God is with us all the time, everywhere, even when we're having terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days. I also want to say to all of the children here, when you are having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, as all of us do at some time or another, it's important to talk about that. And it's a holy thing to talk about that. That's what the Psalms are all about. The Psalms are all about people talking about the experiences of their lives, knowing that God is with them and trusting them with their grief, their anger, their happiness, all sorts of emotions. So when you're having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day and Band-Aids don't help and, and you just don't know what to do, it's important to, to pray, to talk to God, and it's important to talk to other people too, to talk to your parents, teachers, coaches, pastor, church staff, Sunday school teacher. Um, find people who can be conversation partners um, so that you can know that you're part of a community of hope. That changes everything. It helps each one of us to move forward, and you won't be the only one. Um, we all do that at times. We all lean on uh, members of our faith community because that's what we're here for. We're family for that. We're family to embody Christ's love. So thank you for listening, and thanks for asking the best questions in the world. As we prepare to hear the words of Scripture, let us pray. O Holy One, we hear and say so many words, yet yours is the word we need. Speak now and help us to listen, and if what we hear is silence, let it quiet us, let it disturb us, let it touch our need, let it break our pride, let it shrink our certainties, and let it enlarge our wonder. Amen. Our Old Testament lesson this morning is found in 2 Samuel, the first chapter, beginning with the first verse. After the death of Saul, when David had returned from defeating the Amalekites, David remained two days in Ziklag. David intoned this lamentation over Saul and his son Jonathan. He ordered that the song of the bow be taught to the people of Judah. It is written in the book of Jashar. He said, Your glory, O Israel, lies slain upon your places, your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon. Or the daughters of the Philistines will rejoice. The daughters of the uncircumcised will exult. You mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew or rain upon you, nor bounteous fields. For there the shield of the mighty was defiled, the shield of Saul, anointed with oil no more. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back, and the sword of Saul return empty. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and lovely, in life and in death, they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. O oh, daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you with crimson, in luxury, 
who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan lies slain upon your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Greatly beloved were you to me. Your love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war perished. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. you will find Psalm 130. Interestingly, in our book of worship and in our hymnal, if you are to look up our service of death and resurrection, it is Psalm 130 that is included in that service, not Psalm 23. Uh, we often are, are, will include that because it is requested, but this, this is the psalm that was chosen for that particular service. Let us responsively pray the words of Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be worshipped. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. In his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love. With him is great power to redeem. And the Lord will redeem Israel from all iniquities. Our gospel lesson is rather long. Uh, if you would like to remain seated this day, uh, I think that would be appropriate given its length. It is uh, found in Mark's gospel, the fifth chapter, beginning with the 21st verse. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus, came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So he went with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, for she said, If I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? 
But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. And he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this, they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen. I remember reading not too long ago of a study about how long Americans thought it took to get over the grief that follows the loss of a loved one. To my complete dismay and astonishment, the immediate answer was two weeks. Let me just say this. Nope. (laughs) Grief takes as long as it takes. When my brother died, I think I cried every single day for two full years. I was kind of like the, the Holly Hunter character in broadcast news where she would take her phone off the hook, cry for a minute, put her phone back on the hook, and get on with the day. I had one of my clergy colleagues call me one year to the day uh, after my brother had died, and she said, it's been a year, it's been a year, and it's time to cut him loose. Well, I didn't see her very much after that. Grief takes as long as it takes, and it needs to be honored It's not an easy process, and it doesn't feel good, but it is therapeutic. Did you know that the chemical composition of happy tears and the chemical composition of sad tears are completely different? We are meant to get those things out of our bodies, to to process our grief in ways that uh, will help us to move forward. It doesn't ever completely go away, but uh, we can find a way to honor it and honor the grief and honor the one we grieve over uh, in ways that allow us to move forward. Grief comes to us in a lot of ways. It comes to us in ways that are big and ways that are small. It can come with the loss of health or the loss of a relationship moving from one house to another, moving from one job to another. It can come through death or a beloved person moving to the other side of the country. We all have lots of losses in our lives, and that's a universal part of being human. In today's scripture readings, we find three people in various states of travail. David experiences the deaths of Saul and Jonathan. The woman with the hemorrhage has suffered for more than a decade, facing a loss of health, but also of community. Jairus is desperate in the face of his daughter's illness. There's a certain powerlessness when a loved one is ill, 
and it causes him to do something rather desperate. But let's start with our Old Testament lesson this morning, which is a song of lament. The setting for the passage is this. The Israelites are at war with their personal perennial nemesis, the Philistines. The king of Israel, Saul, and his son Jonathan have led the, the battle on Mount Gilboa, and the fighting is fierce, and the Israelites are crushed. Both Saul and Jonathan are killed. Now David, who is going to replace Saul as king, has been leading troops far to the south in a battle against the Amalekites. After defeating the Amalekites, a messenger comes to David and reports the disastrous news that King Saul's army has been routed and both Saul and Jonathan are dead. Well, initially, David responds with shock and disbelief. He questions the messenger, saying, how do you know? How do you know that, that Saul and Jonathan have died? I think we all know the feeling of dislocation and disorientation that come in the face of devastating news. When the messenger confirms to David that Saul and Jonathan have indeed died, David rips his clothes and weeps. In David's song of lament, he expresses his sor sorrow. He says, your glory, O Israel, lies slain upon your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Three times he says that phrase, how the mighty have fallen. It's, it's a statement of both disbelief and heartache. David's lament also includes some of his anger. He curses the mountain on which Saul and Jonathan have died. But it's also noteworthy to notice that David's lament includes remembering and thanksgiving. He remembers Saul and Jonathan as gracious men who were adored. He declares that these two mighty men were swifter than eagles and stronger than lions. David also recalls his personal connection to Jonathan and their deep love for one another. After David's song of lament, he returns to the business of living. He has not put Saul and Jonathan out of his mind, and he has not simply gone back to living as he did before their deaths. This profound loss has changed him. But he also knows that he cannot stay in the past or freeze this present state of grief. He must begin to move into the future. Our God is a God of hope who always calls for us to live the fullest life, lives possible. Well, on to our gospel text for today, which is about two miracles. And it's, it's, it's one story inside of the other. They're not really separate narratives, and you'll see why in a moment. Jesus is on the road when he is suddenly confronted by a prominent, influential man by the name of Jairus, whose young daughter is gravely ill. Now, Jairus is a, a leader in the synagogue and so desperate to find healing for his daughter that he circumvents the anointing or the other resources of the synagogue and instead throws himself at the feet of an itinerant preacher and healer, begging him to come to his home and to restore his daughter to health. And Jesus responds and starts to walk with Jairus toward his home to see his critically ill daughter. But there's an interruption. 
A woman surreptitiously approaches Jesus from behind and touches his garment. And he knows that she has touched his robe because the text says he feels the power leave him. And he stops walking with Jairus and he now turns to her. She's desperate too. We don't know her name, but we know her condition. She has been hemorrhaging blood for 12 years and her condition has made her a pariah, an outcast. She was ritually unclean. Anyone who touched her was also unclean. She could not do what the religious law required, a monthly ritual of cleansing which made a woman ritually religiously clean again. Worst of all, she was not permitted to enter the synagogue because of her condition. So it doesn't take a lot of imagination to know that she was very isolated and lonely and that her guilt uh, was imposed on her by her religion and the community in which she lived who would have nothing to do with her. And so she, like Jairus, is desperate and comes to Jesus. Jesus stops and talks with her. I imagine Jairus's anxiety is increasing. His daughter is dying. Time is of the essence. Why is Jesus talking to this woman? A touch of his garment had been all that she wanted, but she gets his attention and then his compassion and love. Daughter, he calls her, a term of endearment. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. It's important to note here that religion, instead of healing, is actually getting in the way of healing. Jesus has to reach across social and religious barriers to restore wholeness to a marginalized, rejected outcast, to welcome her into the kingdom of God where there are no outcasts. The problem is, though, Jesus is now ritually unclean. He has been touched by a ritually unclean woman. The law is clear about that too. He's now supposed to take off his clothes and wash them. He is supposed to bathe, and he is not supposed to enter a house until sundown. But instead, Jesus continues on his journey with Jairus, who is a leader of the synagogue, is still wanting Jesus to come to his home because Jesus is the only hope he has of not losing his daughter. It's impossible to read this without a new sense that it is the job of of religion and the church that bears Jesus' name, not to invest all of its energy in protecting its purity, but to live out its life, opening its doors, opening its arms to welcome all in his name, particularly those who are marginalized and outcast. So if we think that what Jesus did did not raise eyebrows, Just think about how hard it is to do this even in our day, to not only avoid building barriers or draw lines to exclude, but to move beyond a passive welcome and reach out and extend hospitality and welcome specifically those whom culture or even religion itself has branded as unclean and calling them the names that Jesus does, sons and daughters of God. Jesus continues his journey to Jairus' house. Messengers come as they are walking and say, it's too late. It's too late. She has died. Mourners are there already weeping. But Jesus continues into the house 
where he says that the little girl is just sleeping. Remember, Jesus is now ritually unclean, having been touched by a woman considered by the law to be unclean. And now he's entering the house of a leader of the synagogue, a man who was a fastidious keeper of the holiness code. He knows Jesus is unclean. He invites him in nonetheless, knowing that nothing in the house, nothing is unclean except Jesus. And then Jesus takes her small hand in his, and the law is clear about that too. Touching a dead body also renders a person unclean, and those who do so also have to engage in the ritual cleansing and bathing. So a second time Jesus is unclean, this time because of his own action. And he takes her small, lifeless hand in his, and he says, little girl, it actually translates, little lamb, get up. And she does. She's restored to life. Unlike Saul and Jonathan, this is a death that is undone. There is restoration in these two stories from Mark's gospel, but before the restoration was incredible grief and desperation. I told the children this morning about a second grader named Stephen who thought his church membership certificate was a gift certificate. In a way, it is. It is when a membership into a community of hope, a place where knowing these stories of healing and, and restoration, we live out a hope that is not just a wish, pie in the sky thinking, but a hope that is rooted in trust, knowing that God is with us no matter what the circumstances of our lives may be. Theologian Karl Barth once said, hope occurs in the act of taking the next step. When we are able to hold one another up so that we can take that next step together, we are a visible sign of the community of hope that God had in mind. Thanks be to God. Amen.
don't think I will ever hear that hymn the same way again. Will you pray with me? Loving and eternal God, we thank you for touching us, for touching our lives, for being as near to us as our own breath, for speaking to us in times that are challenging and times that are joyful. We thank you for bringing whole healing and restoration in ways the world cannot understand. This day, we bring to you the concerns of our hearts for those who are facing challenging times, recovering, facing treatment. We pray for the people in Miami who are still waiting to hear about loved ones following the collapse of that condo building. We pray for all who are working around the clock for, to find signs of life. Lord, we pray for people in the kind of desperation we have read about this morning as they await news, that time of waiting being so hard and so long and so painful. We know that you are a God who surrounds us with hope so that we may take those steps forward, so that we as a community may embody hope when there are people in our community who need to be held up by that. I've been that person, probably each person in this congregation has been that person at one time or another. How grateful we are to be lifted by the community of Christ and the love within. We give you thanks. We turn the prayer concerns of our hearts to you. And we claim our trust in you as a community of hope, praying as Jesus has taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Will you stand and affirm your faith with the Apostles' Creed? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come again to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. As forgiven and reconciled people, let us now return thanks to God with our gifts of tithes and offerings. Will the ushers please come forward? May we pray. Loving and eternal God, you give to us so many good gifts, especially in community, especially in the ways that you walk with us each day. We feel your blessings. We know that we are equipped for service, 
and we ask that you help us to use all of the gifts with which you have equipped us to the glory of your kingdom. For it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. closing hymn is Be Still My Soul, found in your hymnals on page 532. Yes, it's really 534, isn't it? Excuse me, 534. That's all right. We are united on 534. <laughs> Here we go.
This morning, I was able to talk about the church as a community of hope. But as a pastor, I have a privilege of serving one. And I am so grateful to all of you. I have so many images in mind of you as a community of hope, from Stacy measuring feet at back to school, to the people who gather at the food bank once a month, to the ladies who put together the school kits and the hygiene kits, to the children who made crosses and delivered them, to our homebound and nursing home residents. I just see it all the time, and I'm so profoundly grateful to you. Being with you every Sunday is a privilege that sustains me for the week, and I hope you feel the same. You are a very, very special group of people, and I am grateful to God for you. And now may you go forth in peace to love and to serve God and your neighbor in all that you do. And the blessing of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you, abide with you, and remain with you always. Amen. Please, please be seated for the postlude.